Welcome to episode three of About Your Mother, Where Your Story Begins, where I interview public speaker and mindset coach, Sandra Possing. Talk about being curious, open, and inspiring others. Sandra is a force. A coach and an entrepreneur, she helps people up-level their life. I really can't get enough of Sandra and her spirit. She is fearless, open, kind, and real. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am so excited to have Sandra Possing as a guest. She is a speaker and mindset coach. She empowers high-achieving, sensitive women to unleash their inner badass, develop unshakable self-belief, and manifest their dream lives. I have to say, I'm a little envious of her bio. That just sounds so cool on so many fronts. <laughs> I know Sandra personally. I'm working with her, and I've gotten to know her through a good friend of ours. And I am just always so blown away by her outlook on life and her work and how connected it is to who she is. Because we all dream of having a career that is linked directly to our passion and is a reflection of who we are. And I have to say, Sandra is that person. So I'm excited to have her today. First of all, I want to talk about unshakable your work with unshakable. What does it mean to be unshakable? Mm, I just love that word so much. It's it, a good word. <laughs> it, to me, it just immediately conjures up the, probably the, the best metaphor that I've found so far is just a big ass strong tree. You know, picture whatever your favorite big ass strong tree is. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I don't know anything about different oak kinds tree. of trees. Oak tree. Perfect. Yeah, let's say an oak tree. Right, but like you, you take this really strong trunk and then we forget, I think, that the massive network of roots that goes down into the earth. But so you think about what's actually happening underneath the ground with the tree, and it is so deeply rooted in and held by this network of nature, right? And it's interacting with the soil and doing all this magical stuff underground. And then once you have overground, you have this tr strong trunk, but then you have these branches and leaves and everything which are flexible. So if you picture like this big oak tree during the middle of a chaotic storm, right? Which is a beautiful metaphor for any kind of the chaos that's happening in the world around us. We have chaos of all kinds happening around us. And so when you have these deeply rooted foundations that are holding you firm and strong in who you are, and I would say connected to the earth too, figuratively and literally, then you can weather any storm. Then people can climb on you, animals can climb on you, the weather, the wind, the lightning, the storm. you can weather all of those storms because the inner strength and the foundation are there. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I go for when I work with people too. And in my own work with myself is developing these, these developing the inner strength and resilience to be able to handle whatever life throws at us and to do it with you know, a little bit of grace and I'm say dignity, <laughs> ease, you know, whatever it is that you're going for, but really it's about having that strong foundation. Oh, I love it. So one clarification, tell us about how mindset coaching is different than therapy if someone's working with you. And then how do you work with someone to help them be unshakable and to build their big, strong tree to weather mm. all the storms that we're facing? Love it. So if I go just a little bit more general to start the difference between therapy and coaching um, in general, I would say to me, it's usually there are a lot of, there's a ton of overlap, first of all. So there's um, a lot of ways where we coaches along with, alongside with therapists can help people with similar types of things. But then some of the main distinctions are therapists or in, you know, in some cases, specifically psychiatrists are going to help people with the mental health side of the equation 
especially the mental health challenge or crisis side of the equation, we as coaches are not allowed to touch that. So they're licensed, they're trained to deal with those kinds of specific things that we can't, which also gives me so much gratitude for all the therapists in the world who are doing some of the really heavy lifting. You know, they're doing some of the really hard stuff, which frees us coaches up to do a lot of the really fun stuff, the chasing their dreams, helping people go to, you know, attain their goals and all of those things. The other main difference that really helps organize it in my brain is that therapy is going to be more past and present and coaching is going to be more present and future. So where the therapist might say, you know, how are you feeling today or what's going on in your life right now? And then they'll relate it back to what happened in your childhood, you know, what was modeled for you by your parents, conditioning, trauma specifically, and they may, you know, unearth things on all sorts of different deep levels and then work on healing from that trauma. And, you know, so if there's medication involved and that kind of stuff too, what I hear from a lot of my clients who have done therapy or who are also currently doing therapy is that they'll come out of it with so much more self-awareness and understanding, but oftentimes they won't necessarily know what to then go do with it. And I kind of see that as where we coaches come in. It's like you walk out of your therapist's office, I show up, I grab you by the arm and I'm like, all right, now let's go figure out what's next. I love that. Yeah. yeah. As someone, I'm and, pro-therapy. Uh, I've, I've certainly yeah, gone back and I'm like, okay, face the trauma, made the link between my, my parents and my childhood experience. And, and uh, even in us working together now, it's, but then I, I have all that knowledge, but it's like, now what? <laughs> right? How do I put that into practice for my life, for my work, for my relationships? Yeah, I love it. That's reminding me of the Toni Morrison quote, which I'll probably butcher, but it goes something like, if you want to fly, you got to let go of the shit that weighs you down or release the shit that weighs you down or something. And it's kind of like therapy is one of many modalities for releasing the weight, releasing the things that we've had kind of, that we've been holding on to that's keeping us contracted. And by releasing that, we become more light and we can away into our goals and our dreams. But the other um, main distinction too, I would say is that whereas therapy might be a little bit more talk focused, coaching tends to be a little bit more proactive. And like I give tons of homework, for example, and I have people will we'll discuss a lot of things during a session and a lot can happen during a session, but there's also work for them to do in between the sessions or like in my group programs, there's homework and book assignments and Lots of things to go then put into practice and to implement in your life, new behaviors to implement and different ways of showing up in relationships and communication tools and frameworks that you then go out and actually exercise in your day-to-day life. That's so awesome. a little bit more proactive. I love it. You know, one of the things too that I really appreciate about you is that you've done the work, <laughs> not only in getting certifications and going through all the programs that make you qualified in your profession, but one of the things that really touches me is that it's part of your journey as well, overcoming people-pleasing and perfectionism and self-doubt coupled with a lifelong passion of personal development. This just, you, you talk the talk and you walk the walk. Can you tell us a little bit more about finding your calling? It was a very winding journey. And it's one that I look back onto now with a lot of humor and compassion and tenderness. Like I, you know, I wish I could jump back to every stage of my journey and just go actually like hug, hug the shit out of my younger self, oh, you know, yeah, and right? just be like, you've got this, keep going. Don't worry. It's all going to be great. You know, if, if I would, if I would go back now, there's things that I would do differently. <laughs> I would have started this journey maybe a lot earlier and trusted myself earlier and things like that. But I also believe in not really hanging on to any regrets. And I just look back at every piece of it with so much gratitude and yeah, and tenderness, but really it, it 
in retrospect, I realized that this interest, this passion was there from the start. Like what, early on when I looked up what my name meant, I found out that Sandra, which comes from, you know, Alexandra, which comes from Alexander, which means helper of mankind. And I'm like, it's written into the stars. <laughs> I was born this way. I was like, somehow my parents intuitively knew that I oh, needed so to cool. be, you know, to just claim this helper of mankind kind of thing. And I, you know, looking back, that's kind of like, one of the lighter or, or the helpful sides of the people pleasing too is just this, I've just always had this deep desire to help people feel better, which of course, you know, I didn't really know what that meant when I was younger. I was kind of like the, the peacemaker in my family. I was like the nice girl in my friend groups, you know, I was likable because I just really wanted everyone to get along and be happy, you know, oh, but yeah. in terms of finding my calling, it was like, this interest in personal development, it was always just an interest. I found myself being drawn to a lot of kind of self-helpy books. You know, I was picking up all the Chicken Soup for the Soul and the Celestine Prophecy and, you know, all of those great like 90s classics. Oh, I love those. This is so good. I mean, I go back and read them now and it still just sparks a ton of the joy. The 10th Insight, all of those. Yeah. yeah. I went back and reread all of those this last year, by the way. Too. Oh, I, I got to really do that. But some a lot of it is is credited to my mom because she had some of those books laying around and then I would find them and read them but really it was just I, I just thought I was interested in self-help I didn't know that it I didn't know that it was a career other than maybe writing those books one day right so I kind of I, I, I got out of high school and then ultimately college still having no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up and I kind of started just doing like you know trial and error process of elimination. I tried one thing, tried another thing. I was like, oh, nope, not finance. <laughs> oh, definitely not selling life insurance. <laughs> and then I kind of kept, like, I never got a sort of mainstream nine to five normal job. I always found my way into these interesting random opportunities because I think people would see me and would be like, hey, come work for us. So I had a lot of like friends in college who would say, come work for our startup. That happened a couple of times. And I was always drawn, I was always really drawn to super smart people. And I was really drawn to what now I can see were entrepreneurial types, but I didn't really know what that was at the time. Yeah. And I liked being around people that kind of challenged the status quo and they were innovative and they would be thinking differently. And they also wanted to go do creative, interesting, cool things in the world. Yeah. But I was always like just a helper, you know, I was like the marketing girl or the blogger or the assistant, that kind of thing. And then after working with several either startups or entrepreneurs, it finally started to sink in with me that I was like, wait, wait a minute. I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the nanny. I don't want to be the babysitter to this baby. I want to have my own baby. I want to have my own business baby. I am the entrepreneur. Holy crap. <laughs> but that was a long time coming to actually find that. And, and there were a lot of things in between, like in my late twenties, I remember one of my biggest kind of collective or, or I would say cumulative breakdowns, which ultimately led to a breakthrough. I'm a big fan of, you know, I love the word breakthrough. And oh, I think yeah. a lot of times what precedes the breakthrough is a big messy wipe out breakdown kind of thing. Hallelujah, and, sister. I agree. I, yep. <laughs> and, and they can be very healing and very yeah. cathartic to have that breakdown. I was working at a startup. I was bartending. Bartending was my main source of income. The startup was kind of a passion project. And I just found fitness. I was always an athlete, athletic, a runner. And then I started going to a boot camp and the founder was like, you should work for me, come be a boot camp instructor. And I was like, okay, work out for free. Sounds good to me. You know, so I just did yeah. that for fun. And then that ultimately kind of took over and became the, my, my main job job. But throughout it all, I was searching, you know, and being like, what do I want to be when I grow up? And I'm, you know, 26, I'm 27, I'm 28, probably around 29. I was like, okay, Sandra, yeah. <laughs> what are we, most people that you know are, you know, deep into their career now, like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. And I remember a typical week would look like on Monday, I'd be like, you know what? 
I need to just suck it up, go to, you know, Salesforce or one of these big companies, just start at the bottom, climb the ladder, be a normal person, get a corporate job, do the thing, you know, right to retirement and 401ks and stuff. Be responsible. Check, 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 check. Yeah. Like do, do, do the, do the life things, adulting. Tuesday, I'd be like, you know what? I feel like, I feel like I want to get an MBA. And actually there's this program in France called NCAD and it's this international and executive MBA and there's people from all over the world. And, you know, I want to do that. And, but and I'd be totally convinced I'd be like applying online. And then yeah. the next day I'd be like, what are you doing, Sandra? You are an entrepreneur. God damn it. Like you are, you know, you should be starting your own business. And I'd be like, well, what business is that going to be? <laughs> and then the next day, like Thursday, I go, you know what? I'm an artist. I should, at, the, at my heart, I'm an art. I should move back to LA. I should be an actress or a dancer or a singer or, you know, at least give it a go. I'll always regret it if I don't. And then Friday, I'd be like, what am I doing? I'm young. I'm free. I should go travel and just take a year off. I <laughs> and then Saturday, it. I'd be like on my knees in the shower crying hysterically because I'd be so stressed because I would change my mind every day. Mm. I and so it was exhausting. It is. I so identify with that, Sandra. It just, this is the thing that I love about what you do is that you share your narrative to, you know, help others. But because I think the more that we open up about our own experience, that's where community and connection happens. But I felt the same way. You know, I had a great career at Salesforce and I was checking all the boxes and doing all that, but I would go through the emotional ups and downs Monday through Friday saying, well, th this is a good job and I'm in a good place, but this isn't what I really want to yeah. do. Right. And but then you get the little accolades along the way, the financial or whatever it is, and or the promotions, and then you're, it becomes hard to take a break and just, you know, unleash, you know, and, and have a breakthrough and, and do something different. So a question for you is, and what you often talk about on your website and, and interviews and things like that, and in working together is trusting yourself. So how do we, you know, here you had this breakdown, which was your breakthrough. How do we trust that? that voice in our head. What are some ways that you tap into that? Mm. That was really kind of the, the turning point for me was I realized in these, in the middle of these, you know, multiple breakdowns like that, where I, it, it finally hit me that I was looking outside of myself for validation and permission and confirmation. You know, I would try on an idea and then I would kind of look around and be like, who's going to tell me that this is the right thing? And of course, if you, you know, you ask your parents and then you ask your friends and then you ask a therapist and you, and you're going to get a hundred different answers and you can argue, especially, you know, our minds are so good at justifying and, and explaining and coming up with reasons why. And so I can justify the crap out of any single one of those things, but I never knew which one was it. And I was so terrified of choosing the wrong thing and then getting stuck and then disappointing people. And, and so it was this constant struggle of like external seeking. And it wasn't until I finally, I mean, really what I did at that moment was I was like, Sandra, your only job right now is to figure out what your job is. And it's okay to kind of put your focus there. And that's when I started, you know, going to workshops. I went and saw a hypnotherapist and an EFT lady. I started reading a bunch of stuff and I started paying attention to, you know, when I just go online and I'm reading blogs and newsletters and researching things, what am I actually looking at? And I started noticing it's all personal development stuff. And I started looking into things and I started meeting other coaches and realizing, hey, you seem like you like your job. What's that about? But, but it became this kind of journey of experimentation and paying attention to not just the shoulds, but the, ooh, what's, you know, what, what awakens something inside of me? 
And so it was basically switching the whole paradigm that I'd been living my life in, which I think most of us are trained to do, of outside in and flipping that into inside out. So instead of looking outside of myself, like, okay, society, tell me who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do and what a normal person at my age is, you know, what their life is supposed to look like. And instead I started actually asking myself, well, what do you actually want, Sandra? Hmm. What do you want? What What would feel good? Yeah. And that's hard to do, right? Because we have so much pushed at us. And so, like you said, so many ways that we're looking for validation that we're on the right path. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's learning, learning to just look within and start to hear your intuition, which is really hard because our ego and all the conditioning and everything is super loud. It's like, if your ego is screaming in one ear with a megaphone, it's hard to hear the tiny quiet whisper of your intuition which is always there. It's just most of us have never learned how to access it. Yeah. What are some ways that we can access our intuition? Tell us. (laughs) So probably the, I mean, the first one I would say uh, my, probably my answer to everything is going to be like awareness. (laughs) So the the first one will be starting to cultivate some sort of awareness that you, that it's a thing and that you want to, and then also making the decision. So making a decision or commitment, putting your foot down and saying, I'm, I'm deciding to learn to listen to myself, to connect back and to tune in. Mm. And then any mindfulness practice that is around quieting our monkey mind and tuning into self is great. So that could be meditation. It could be other mindfulness practices. It could be yoga. It could be visualization. It could be any one of the many tools around self-discovery. A lot of what I do with my clients is just asking open-ended questions and having them process and think and talk and journal so that they start actually, you know, it's like giving themselves permission to think about what they want without worrying about, well, what they're supposed to want. Yeah. So beautiful. So you've had a lot of uh, breakthrough moments. One of the ones that you shared, and I remember when I reached out to you, I was like, oh, if you'll talk about this, I'm just so fascinated by it. And again, I can put your names and you know this, ayahuasca, correct? Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Can you tell us about that experience for, for you and, and what it was like yeah. and go into the details because I think it's, it's becoming, it's coming up more and more in society and people are really intrigued by it. I've heard um, from some friends and colleagues that it's transformed their lives in many ways. Absolutely. So I'd love for you to share your experience that you posted on Facebook and to yeah, you know, share that. So with I, this was an experience my husband and I went and had in December. So what, seven months ago now. And I would say since then, it's amazing. This medicine, as they call it, is continuing to do its work, even now seven months into it. And I would say I'm having consistent realizations and appreciations for what it opened up, even though it's, you know, the experience has ended. It's like this medicine that just continues to work with you and integrate your body, your mind, your soul. What it is, is an an ancient medicine. And, you know, through the American lens, I was thinking about this earlier, through the American lens, people might look at it and call it a drug. But I want to say, it's so not, it's definitely not recreational. There's nothing fun about it. Let me just be clear about that. Yeah, we'll and, get into that in a minute. You, know, <laughs> What's like? you could call it a, a drug because it does have a psychoactive ingredients, right? So there are, you are put into an, a mind altering um, experience. And, and I think it's much more helpful to call it a medicine because that's what it is. So if you look at it through the traditional lens, through the, the way that indigenous communities have been using this medicine. And there's other plant medicines like it. There's a boga. There's a couple other ones that I'm blanking on the names of. But they're, you know, they're made from plants. They come from the earth. They're not chemicals. They're not chemically produced in a lab. And they have an effect on you that is 
it can be healing, it can be transformational. A lot of it has to do with release. I will just say like a little disclaimer, yeah. ayahuasca is definitely not for everyone. I think it's important that if, you know, it, A, it's illegal in the U.S., so please, you know, if you're yeah. trying to not do illegal things, don't do it here. <laughs> yeah. But if you go to a place like Brazil or Peru, or yeah. in our case, Costa Rica, you can not only find it and do it there, but you can find very mindfully designed experiences where the experience is presented in a sacred container and it's 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 conducted as a ceremony so it's a really beautiful experience and the other thing i'll say about just dis disclaimer wise it's not for everyone they say that they say that ayahuasca starts to call to you when it's your time and my husband and i both felt like we started feeling the call about a year before we did it and then three four months before we're like okay it's time let's do it we booked it we went but the the there's a couple of contraindications. So there's, you know, everyone should do the research and before you do it, you should check out which there's certain medications that you can't be on if you're going to do it just because they won't, they won't play nice. And then there are certain um, conditions, certain mental health conditions that should not also not be combined with them. Schizophrenia, I believe is one of the ones that definitely shouldn't be messed with. On the other hand, there's things like PTSD. People get, can get, can get amazing results. One of the people in my group had, had P severe PTSD for like 30 years. Yeah, was a veteran and it went away. The part of it that's most profound to me from what I've seen and what I've experienced is the emotional healing and release and especially letting go of whether it be trauma or just conditioning that's holding you back. I went into it specifically thinking, okay, here I've, you know, I've done all this very active conscious work on people pleasing and perfectionism and my self-doubt and self-worth issues and all those kinds of things that I work with with my clients on too. And I felt like I know there's more. I know there's probably things on a very deep sub subconscious level. I know there's, I'm a huge believer that things like trauma and you know in intense emotional experiences that happen, especially that happen when we're young, that they get locked in our bodies and they get stuck in, you know, there's all kinds of cool chiropractic work you can do around releasing emotions from especially your hips, I think, and certain parts of our spine can hold that energy and emotion. And so I went in thinking, you know, whatever is still there that I haven't accessed yet, I would love to be open to letting some more layers of that go. Oh, um, and I would love to, you know, kind of lean more into really who, who it is I'm stepping into next and my next level of leadership and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And man, I mean, just shout out to, to the actual retreat center we went to, which is called Rhythmia it's in Costa Rica. It happened to be 40 minutes away from where my um, husband's family, family and family friends live that we go see like twice a year anyway. Oh. That was super convenient. Kind of felt yeah. like a synchronicity. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, you're meant to come here. And the retreat center is great. It's a seven day retreat, you know, minus the plant ceremonies. It's just, you know, there's beautiful, like vegan, vegetarian, super healthy food. And there's breath work, which by the way, for somebody who hasn't done breath work, it can be just as transformational as the ayahuasca really? itself. Wow. Some people have more intense experiences just from 40 minutes of breathing. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. There's, I'm definitely not an expert because I'm still new to it, but yeah. you can look up holotropic breathing or shamanic breathing or transformational breathing, I think are all kind of synonyms for mm -hmm. more or less the same thing. It's a 40 minute thing. It's also kind of similar to Wim Hof breathing, which is usually shorter, but you get similar effects. And so anybody who wants to check out breathwork, it is if you, if you don't want to go do the actual plant medicine, breath work is like a close second. Yeah, let's start there, right? <laughs> start with right, yeah. eating. <laughs> it's a gentle introduction, or a exactly. introduction too, if you're not ready for the intensity of ayahuasca. So, and you know, you stay in this beautiful campus, lots of people. It's a big group. You have about 100 people in your group at 
Rhythmia, and wow. they do a new group every week of the year except for Christmas. So wow. they serve and heal a lot of people at that, that establishment. It's amazing. Um, it's medically licensed, which is why we chose it because we thought, you know, we're at this place. There's like an ambulance. There's medics on staff. It's you. You sit down with a psychiatrist before and do a full health intake before you're ever allowed to participate in anything. Wow. And there's always like you know, there's a hundred people in the room during the ceremonies four shamans, one lead shaman who's leading the ceremony, and then tons of assistants. So you feel just really, really safe the whole time. Yeah. Ceremony, the plant medicine ceremonies themselves are just wild. Like it can be, you know, all over the map, depending on what you come into it with. Yeah. Um, There's four different experiences that they, they talk about you having. One of them is the body experience where it's mostly physical. One is the pinta, which is where you see visuals. One is consulta, which is where you get messages one way or another. And the other is the nada, <laughs> where like nothing happens and you're lying there going, why the am I not freaking out right now? I'm just, I just took a nap, you know? So what's cool about that is they say the medicine is it's still working yeah. on you. It's just working on a deeper le- level where you don't need to be you know, purging or screaming or doing any of that. Yeah. So and if to, I have this right, there's a hundred people in this experience at the same time? Yeah. That's got to be wild. You walk into the room, it's like a, it's like a massive yoga studio with kind of open windows and fans and stuff. It's really, be, you know, it's Costa Rica, so it's hot and humid. And there's a hundred mattresses and on, for each station, there's a mattress, a pillow, a bucket, like a it. blanket, and a roll of toilet paper <laughs> so that you can, you know, wipe your mouth if you oh, amazing. <laughs> are purging. Yeah. And the purging, just for anybody who's like, what? The purging can happen in a lot of different ways. You don't have to throw up. Um, yeah. my, my, neither my husband or I threw up at all the whole week. Some people vomit violently, like the whole night, every night. And that's, you know, just because that's the way their body needs to release. But you can purge by vomiting. You can run to the bathroom and have diarrhea. And don't worry, you'll totally make it. Yeah, uh, that was my big experience. I was like, I'm totally gonna shit my pants. I did not. It was great. I was like, Phew. nobody wants to shit their pants. Like, you're basically fully out of it, but your body still understands how to like get up and walk to the bathroom. So yeah. another, but there's tons of other ways of purging too. You can sweat a lot, which I did. You can yawn. I was basically yawning uncontrollably the whole time. And are night. you engaging with your husband? Is he next to you in your? No, they recommend that if you're there with someone, you separate Ah. um, because you don't want to, you know, get caught up in thinking, are they okay or any of that? We did decide by the, by the fourth night we were comfortable. And so we laid next to each other, but we tried to, you know, give each other space. And then when we came out of kind of the trance, but then we'd connect and pull hands or something, but wow. And there's, you know, and a lot of tears. So for some, some people, they're literally like screaming at the top of their lungs all night because they're letting go of, you know, abuse and trauma. And, you know, for me, it was a lot of tears. And so uh, just yawning, like my, you know, gaping mouth open, yawning larger than I ever thought was possible. Sweating and crying were my main ones. A little bit intentionally for you, if you don't mind sharing. Mm. So, I mean, a lot of things and each night was very different. Yeah. But just to pull out some of the highlights, I would say the one of the first nights was a real, they, they give you different intentions that they mm-hmm. offer to you that you can use if you want to. One of them was show me who I've become. So I went into one night, the first night with that and was looking for, you're, you're kind of asking the medicine to show you like, what are these parts of, of my ego that I, you know, developed very understandably as a child as protection mechanisms to survive in whatever my conditions were. Mm-hmm. But how is that now getting in my way? And so what I saw was kind of a magnified version of all the stuff that I, that I knew, the people pleasing, the perfectionism, self-doubt, things like that, that I've been chipping away at over time. But it was kind of like I got this big final flash 
in front of me that's like, okay, it's, this has served its purpose now. Hmm. And it's, it's still preventing you from getting to the next level. So, and now it's safe to let it go. Hmm. Um, was one of the first realizations. The second one, which is the one I've shared with you, I, you know, I've had a little bit of an intense family background in terms of the, you know, my parents splitting up and then my mom and my stepdad getting married and then splitting up and all the things, all the different dynamics attached to that. But what was so amazing the second night was I went in and I didn't have very, some people get crazy visuals like all night. My husband gets tons of visuals. I didn't have too many except for the second night. I saw a started out just a little glow and then it ended up realizing it was a campfire and then I zoomed in a little more and I could see this it was a big circle of people and then everything else was dark so it looked like we're in the middle of you know the Amazon rainforest or something and I noticed that this big circle of people were it was some sort of indigenous community and they were all just holding the most amazing sacred safe so I felt as as if I'd been dropped into this community that was like we're here we got you go do your work And then in the inner circle, just around the campfire, it was my family. So it was me, it was my mom, it was my dad, it was my stepdad, well, my ex-stepdad, and then my now stepdad. Mm. Just like, so me and my mom and her men, basically, which is a lot of the dynamics in in my experience and my family come from. Sure. And what was so beautiful, and I have no idea if this whole thing took 10 minutes or like four hours. I honestly have no clue. But we were sitting around the campfire, and then there was two like wooden kind of rocking chairs facing each other. And each member of the circle had a chance to sit across from each other member of the circle Mm -hmm. and say everything they needed to say. So each of them sat with each other and apologized where they needed to apologize, forgave where they needed to forgive, said, I'm sorry. They got to explain some of where they were coming from. They got to like all the, like, thank you. I'm sorry. I forgive you. I love you. All of those things. And me as you know, I'm in it. I can see my see from my own eyes, but I'm also watching like in a third person perspective. And as I was watching each person interact, I noticed that there was an energetic cord from you know. So let's say like my mom's solar plexus attached to my dad's solar plexus, and it was this gnarled like dark brown kind of knotted energetic cord. And as each of them sat with each other, that cord started to disintegrate. Oh. And I also had a cord coming from my body that was attached to each person's cord. So my cord was attached to my mom and my dad's cord. Yeah. My cord was attached to my mom and my stepdad's, et cetera, right? And so as each person sat with each other, the cord disintegrated, and then they would catch the remnants in their hand, and it would be like a handful of gravel, and then they would take that gravel and throw it into the fire as the final letting go. Oh, my god! And so then it was like my- You're making me cry. <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs> My, I think one of my big kind of unhelpful tendencies that I adopted very early on was this people pleasing thing, which I think came from this desire to just like, I just wanted everyone to be okay. So I think I started taking care of everyone at a really, not literally, not that I was like three or four, I don't know what I was doing, but I was emotionally and energetic and I'm a huge empath. So I feel things really, really deeply on behalf of other, you know, carry the word of the (laughs) weight of the world on my shoulders. But so I think the empath part of me had created these cords and attachments to each of their relationships and I was like energetically trying to protect all of them at the same time my whole entire life so this vision helped me to like those cords disintegrated they threw them into the fire and then new cords formed that were transparent and glowing and like iridescent and sparkly Uh and it was this new new connection of like we've healed we've let go and what's what we're creating now is based on just moving forward 
oh. you know, and, and whether any of them ever have any contact with each other ever again, which, you know, who knows who of them will, if any, Yeah, it doesn't matter because I've let go of my attachment to each of those things and I'm no longer trying to take care of all of them from afar. Yeah. It's clear to you. It's, you know, we've talked about this trauma unaddressed is trauma transferred. And yeah. the reason I'm sitting here crying and nobody can see that, but it's so beautiful because you had that narrative and that story unfold in front of you and you broke that trauma and you made it into something different. And that is just, Oh, I love that. That's to my heart. Yeah. And so, and I think it's really important to, if we have any patterns mm -hmm. in our families, to be able to break those patterns so that we don't pass them on, you know, wh whether we're talking about like, you know, a, and I'm definitely not an expert in epigenetics and the like, you know, genes turning on and off based on things like that. But I really am a believer that energetically we can be so impacted by trauma that it then becomes part of our body and our experience and we can pass that on. So there's that, but then there's also just things that have, that are modeled for us. Like I work with a lot of clients who, a lot of women who in their families, they didn't have models for them. Mm -hmm. strong women who set boundaries they had modeled for them women who kind of always like you know people please and 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 a lot of times kind of gave in to these maybe slightly narcissistic or domineering men and so the women that I work with are oftentimes deciding that this ends here with me I'm not going to pass this on to my daughters I'm not going to model for my daughters what was modeled for me Oh yeah. I'm shaking my head. Yes, yes, yes. Because I, especially I think in, in our generation, even looking at my mother, she was raised to clean, to get married and have children. And that was it. And so, and she had her own childhood trauma. And what I realized is that as, when I had my son, that I was carrying all of that with me. And so I initially started and wrote her story to kind of understand and empathize and accept what her experience was, but to leave it in its mm -hmm. place, to put it in a book and say that trauma remains in that story. And then what I ended up realizing is that I was writing about myself and I was like, mm -hmm. I had to face these things kind of like you did in your journey to, to put a stop to them and put them in their place. And I think one thing that also comes out in these conversations for the podcast is that so many women of our generation, perfectionism and pleasing people is a big burden for us that we need to break through. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when you work with people, that was one of my questions, which you addressed, but I'd love to little learn a little bit more. How many people that you work with, how much of it is that they're addressing their past and trying to compartmentalize their experiences so they don't, so it's not a hurdle, let's say, in their future? If you had asked me that question a couple of years ago, I would have been like, oh yeah, some of them, definitely. And then now I'm inclined to say every single one, mm. all of us. And yeah. part of that comes from my belief that I actually heard this um, on a podcast the other day, was a psychologist and she was referring to big T trauma and little T trauma, oh. which I think is a great description where big T, big T trauma is where we've been, you know, let's say we were directly abused ourselves and experienced, you know, or a traumatic event, whereas little T trauma is just like being traumatized by being a member of society, you know, being traumatized <laughs> yeah. by living in a world where sexism and racism exists, you know, oh. being collectively impacted by just the, the way, the ways that things are woven into society. And so I would say we all have trauma one way or another, and we, we, it would behoove us all to be willing, at least and open and curious to look at what are these things about the ways that I've been conditioned and programmed. You know, I always talk about the ways that we've been conditioned by our, by our well-meaning adults or caretakers, because I don't think it's helpful to blame you know, parents or even somebody who, let's say somebody was actually like the abuser, somebody was abusing you and you were the victim of abuse, like ultimate, and there's lots of, you know, healing and things to do there. And like the ultimate freedom is to be able to 
see that person and like what they talk about in, in at Rhythmia is like, can you forgive the unforgivable? Because that's when you truly become free. Like, can you not just forgive the little things, but can you forgive the most unforgivable things? Because by not forgiving them, you know, it's like they say, it's, it's, it's pouring poison for somebody else and then drinking it yourself. It's, you know, you think it, you're, oh, I can't forgive this person who did this thing, but ultimately you're just holding yourself back and you're kind of poisoning yourself by holding on to that lower vibration of uh, resentment and shame and guilt and everything. So if we can actually forgive all of it, we open ourselves up to so much more freedom. Oh, so beautiful. So I know you, you talked to your mom about it. You don't need to disclose the conversation, but you took this experience to her and you shared it with her. How did it go? It went really well. And she's, I have to give her so much credit. I went into it and I told her, I was like, I am nervous about this conversation. I was also nervous because we were going to be talking about some, some other kind of more political things. And I knew that might be a charged conversation as well, but I walked into yeah. it and, you know, my mom's always been very anti-drug for in her generation, which makes a lot of sense because given her influences and everything, but I knew that she was, you know, kind of anti all drugs for any reason whatsoever. And then I posted this thing on Facebook. She had known I went to the retreat. I don't think she knew what it was. She probably oh, thought yeah. it was a yoga retreat or something. Right. And then yeah. I posted this thing on Facebook and she comments like it very publicly and is like, Hey, can you send me some links? I'd like to learn more because you know, you know how I feel about mind altering substances and oh. I want to understand what you're talking about before I condone anything. And I was like, absolutely. Oh, what a good was, mama. I love yeah, that. And I get it. You know, she's like, and yeah. she was saying it on when we spoke a few days ago too. She's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to protect my daughter and that's where it's coming from. And I was like, I know I get it. And it was so sweet. We get on the phone and she had like printed out all these articles about ayahuasca and she was reading it and stuff. And then was like, tell me all about your experience. I want to hear about it. Yeah. And I told her everything and I told her the whole family campfire circle thing. And we shared lots of tears and then she, we, you know, exchanged some different stories back and forth. And there was a lot of just, I think, compassion and understanding both ways. And, you know, she, she got it. She totally got it. And was like, would you do it again? And I was like, absolutely. I probably will. Like probably the next year. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, don't worry, I'll go back to like the same medically licensed safe place in a place where it's legal or whatever. But, but it was, it, it did feel really important to share that and to share with her, like, here's the stuff that I, you know, unconsciously in so many ways had been hanging on to, And now I've let them go and I've set myself free in some ways from this thing. And I think I've, I hopefully have done a good job of never kind of blaming her or having her feel guilty about any of, you know, quote unquote, what she put me through. Cause I look back and I was like, she was doing what she had to do. Yep. And I learned so much from her journey too. And just watching my mom go through, go through her own journey from, you know, through self-worth and finding her voice and learning to be assertive and learning to stand up for herself and things like that. So, yeah. The reason I wanted to start this podcast is because it is acknowledging our connection to our mother's stories is, is not about laying blame or guilt or anything like that. It's just rising above the experience, right? And acknowledging and accepting our mothers for who they were and what they were going through at the time. And, you know, changing that, like you said, that connector that we have and making it clear and bright. And yeah, I love it. But she, okay. So go back to, she presented to your group and you learned a lot about listening, just listening to your mom, right? Yeah, she came in. So I asked her to come and be, you know, bring guests speakers and different, it's usually my coachy friends who are, you know, experts in different areas. But then I was like, I'm going to bring in my mom. <laughs> Cause she, even though she doesn't do this work, she's kind of like an unofficial therapist. You know, she was a massage therapist for a while. She was a um, physical therapist way back in the day, but she and she's a vocal coach and directs courses and, and does a lot of work with people and leadership and stuff. But she has always been really good at, you know, listening to people and helping them open up and asking good questions and stuff. And then given everything that she's been through on her own journey too, I was like, mom, just come in and tell your story. 
And so she came in and she like basically told her whole story and wove in little nuggets of wisdom. I think she had like 10 nuggets or something she wanted to convey to them. And it was, it was, it was really cool hearing it and realizing that this is where, like, I kind of thought I, I got all this stuff from, from my own experience and what I've studied and stuff. And I was like, a lot of this stuff is actually what my mom went through and what, you know, either I learned from her, maybe my experience with her planted the seed. And then I learned more later and, and it was cool. I think it was really cool for her too to come in and be able to see the work that I'm doing and actually, you know, see my clients and experience what kind of how I've taken her experience and my experience and then turned it into this career, which is in a business, which is a fully just an expression of who I am. Yeah. I love it. So beautiful. We're so connected to our mother's stories indirectly mm. or indirectly. One, um, one thing I'll add too, just in yeah. terms of looking back at our parents and whether it's parents or, you know, whoever our caretakers were yeah. is I genuinely believe that everyone is always doing the best they can with what they have where they are, right? Like even somebody who is a shitty parent or even abusive or like really does some things that are not okay. Yeah. I still believe that that's the best they could do in that moment. Mm -hmm. And instead of just being angry with them or thinking that what they did was so terrible, I like to look at those things and just have compassion for them and forgiveness because I believe that another, again, another phrase from Rhythmia, hurt people, hurt people, and oh. healed people, heal people, which is why I'm like so obsessed with individual healing because the more we all do our individual healing the more we can contribute to the collective healing too but when you look at somebody a person who hurts somebody else mm -hmm. whether it's conscious or unconscious like they are hurt on some deep level they are feeling intense shame or they were abused themselves which is why they continued that pattern or they're you know there's a part of them that was so wounded as a child that they developed these safety mechanisms and survival mechanisms that then translated into some sort of behavior that hurts. And not that that, you know, that doesn't make it okay. It doesn't condone it. Yeah. But I find that just energetically and emotionally, if we can understand and have compassion and forgiveness and really look at like, wow, hurt people are just hurt people. Yeah. That was brilliant. Thank you, Sandra. What do we do in these heavy times? Like the world is heavy right now. How do we, and how are you helping your clients manifest an ideal life under these circumstances? And what are some things that you would suggest people doing to break through and be authentic in this wild, crazy world that we're living in right now? <laughs> it's such a great question. And I think it speaks to a common kind of fear or hesitation that a lot of people have, especially women, around doing work on themselves or doing work for themselves because they're afraid that it's selfish or it's self-indulgent or it's like, you know, all this other stuff is going on who am I to like sit at home and read the self-help book or, you know, go get a massage or take care of myself. And here's what I have to say about that. I'm like, yeah. self-care is not selfish. God damn it. It's really not because, you know, to bring in the classic metaphor of the oxygen mask, if you don't put your freaking oxygen mask on first, you're going to be useless. So, like you can't save the kid next to you, let alone anyone else on the airplane if you're dead. Right. So you have to take care of yourself. And that goes for any and all kinds of self-care and women. Most of us, many of us are, so terrible at self-care. We're terrible at boundaries because we've been conditioned to think that it's, you know, you, oh, you want to be selfless. You want to make sure everyone else is good for us. You got to be a good mom, be a good wife, be a good whatever. And then, so a lot of the women that come to me have weak soft boundaries. They have no idea how to stand up for themselves. They have no idea how to really speak their truth because they just want to make sure, you know, everything else is okay. And they're like chronically depleted. They're either, you know, chronically anxious, chronically overworked, stressed, but so much of it just comes down to the fact that they're not filling up their own cups. So they're pouring from an empty cup over and over and over. And sometimes 
the shift is really simple. Like we set up a, a few simple boundaries, even just like they get a little bit more sleep, they drink a little bit more water, they start giving themselves 10 minutes a day of just me time. And it's like they get this surge of new life to come back. So anyway, so that's kind of just the self-care piece. But in terms of like working on yourself and giving yourself permission to pour any time or energy or effort into your own personal development and why it's important, even when like the shit hits the fan everywhere around you. The reason that's important, I think, is because it's all so connected. So for example, my personal well-being is so intertwined with the well-being of the collective and the well-being of the collective is so intertwined with each of us individually. And when you work on one, you help the other. And that goes both ways, right? So I talk a lot about freedom in my business. And I'm like, I want people to, if they want to have financial freedom, location freedom, you know, time freedom, emotional freedom and all these things. But like, I can go do all of that for myself yeah. and just compartmentalize my world and be like, well, I'm free. But am I really free when the collective is not free? You know, like with everything that's going on right now, with racism, right? It's like, am I really truly free when all of these other communities are not free? And I would say no. So by me leaning into, you know, how can I be an ally? How can I do my own anti-racism work? How can I go out and dismantle these systems, these, these systems of oppression? Yeah. And you know, not that I have to solve it for everyone else before I can feel free, but if I'm actively involved in that and I'm helping raise the consciousness and the freedom of the collective, I'm also helping myself so much. And then on the flip side, when each of us takes responsibility for our own health, our wellness, our thriving, like the more I fill my own cup, the more I'm well-equipped to go do that work. Mm. And so somebody like for me, I have a platform. So I feel like I have a huge responsibility and a huge opportunity to lead and to inspire and to empower people. But I can't go do that. You know, I can help a few people on my natural reserves, but I can't go help hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people if I don't take amazing care of myself, which is why I'm a proponent of like radical self-care, you know, like I spend pretty much the entire morning studying, doing personal development, meditating, visualizing, working out, doing all those things so that I can go out and give my all and serve at a higher level and help as many people as possible. Yeah. You are a force, my dear. You are a force. <laughs> like I could talk to you for another hour. You are just you are on it. Yes. Take care of yourself because we need more of you. <laughs> okay. One last thing, because I know we got to wrap up. What are some ways that people can work with you? There's up level your life in 39 days. Tell us about that and any yes, other so ways that they engage with you. <laughs> um, so up level your life in 39 days is a great kind of sampler platter, if you will. It is an email course. So it's fully DIY. You can just you know buy it anytime off my website. It's, it's 39 bucks you get one email per day for 39 days with one simple tool. So it's just a way to kind of get introduced to this work and it's in the way that I present this work. And, you know, people can email me during it and so they get some interaction too. It's a great introduction and, you know, super low price. So it's accessible to anyone. It's technically sliding scale. So you could pay whatever you want for it, you know, uh, less than 39, more than 39, whatever. That's one way. If you wanted to work with me at a higher level, you can book a call and we could talk about the opportunity of working together in Unshakable, my high level yes. mastermind or one-on-one. -on -one. And I also put out a ton of free stuff. So I'm really easy to find, you know, people, if you follow me on any of my social places, platforms, yeah. you'll find tons of blogs and quotes and videos. We're building up, uh, building up my YouTube channel right now. Yeah. And there's basically tons and tons of content that you can go through 
if you just want to get an introduction and if you want to kind of soak in my energy and for anybody who wants to see, you know, do you like my style? Do you like my vibe before you want to consider actually getting on a call and talking about, you know, do you want to really do this thing? Yeah. But yeah, so I love to, I love to support people both high level at a one-on-one level or in a group setting or just on a broader scale over the internet. Oh, that's awesome, hon. Thank you so much for bearing your soul and for your vision and your platform. And I just want to make sure that everybody hears about you. It's been so nice to get to know you. And like I said, for you to just be so open and share your life experience, you're someone to model after. Thank you so Appreciate much for having you. me. It's an absolute joy and an honor. What can I say? Sandra is an authentic and inspiring source of compassion and focus. As you heard her share her story, so much of her work is inspired by her personal journey and her desire to help others be unshakable. I started working with Sandra recently, and I have to say she has already made a difference in my outlook, focus, and productivity. I can't recommend her more. Do you want to work with Sandra and unleash your inner badass? Visit her site, sandrapossing.com. Until the next episode, stay curious and be well. Thank you.